Welcome everyone to episode 25 of the Bulak podcast. I'm Ursula uh, Lindsay and with me as usual is Marsha Linksquayley. Hello everyone. And we're going to be talking about, we're going to be casting a look back uh, basically and uh, Doing the thing that one does at this time of the year, um, and 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 talking a, a bit based on some book lists that we've put together recently, or are in the still in the process of uh, putting together. Right. As I said, I will literally be the last person with. I, I there have been years when I've published the best of list on December thirty first, um, which is you know uh, not good because people have kind of checked out at that point, but. Well, they get to see it in the... In, I guess the only reason to do it soon is as a kind of... If, if people are looking for gift ideas. Right yeah, I'm not... Mine, so mine is the Arab author's best of 2018. What did you read that you enjoyed best in 2018? And I know yeah. when the New York Times and The Guardian and NPR do their lists, they are, you know, it is Christmas gift-centered. To me, it's... Um, this list is... Um, it's difficult to know what is exciting to read in, in Arabic. Um, the prize lists have their own drawbacks in terms of best of lists. Uh, and, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to even know what is published across this region. Um, what, you know, what's exciting to be reading. So if I go and ask, um, 40 authors, what are their favorite books of the year? And let's say, you know, 20 of them really get back to me with legitimate lists. Um, and, you know, some books do repeat from list to list. Then I, you know, then I think, oh, I have to get this book too. So, you know, that's what my list is for. My, it, if you can't, don't get it before your Christmas shopping is done, that's okay. It's more of a literary reference and an actual piece of literary journalism because you're going around interviewing people basically about... Yeah, yeah. It, um, it's... it's I assume that it's harder work than the people at The Guardian have to make up their list of who they want to ask, of course. But I think at that point, they just send it out and say, you know what to do. Whereas the first time I did this list, which was maybe 2010 or 2011, um, I did send it out and I said, well, you, you've seen these lists before, right? You know what to do. And no, well, a lot of writers hadn't seen these sorts of year-end lists and they didn't know what on earth I was talking about. So sometimes I just got like a, like mostly I just get a, like a literal list of books, but which is not exactly what I want. I want some narrative. What did you like about this book? So it does become a conversation about, okay, but I didn't understand. What do you really, what was special about this book? Uh, and okay, these are all translations from German. Was Were there any Arabic books you liked this year? Um, you know, of course I, I'm, I'm, I'm open to translations into Arabic as well, of course, um, as in terms of people's favorite books. And of course, you know, whatever, your favorite books are your favorite books. But your list is your favorite books in Arabic in 2018. My intention is, yes, that okay. you're supposed to be giving me your favorite books in Arabic, originally written in Arabic or translated into Arabic in 2018. And the people who I dearly love are the people who then self-translate into English what their commentary is, which is so far this year only Yasser Abdelatif, bless you, Yasser. Um, and then, you know, the rest of them I just have to Right, you, you collate and edit and, mm -hmm. and put together. Yeah. Yeah. Find the 
just book jackets and etc. So I know that's definitely a lot more work than than the book list I do, which is just for for Alfanar for the site about um, education, research, and culture that that I that I write for that just got a redesign by the way. So mm. I'm excited about that. Um, and we just. Uh, I just sometimes I I ask colleagues and I ask a few translators. You asked me. I asked you. <laughs> well, I mean, exactly. Well, I think like there's three or four titles on my list this year that wouldn't be there if it weren't for you. So yeah, you were definitely a big reference. Um, and but it's not scientific. Like it's not. Right. It's not at all. It's more, I'm looking for a little bit of geographic distribution. So if by the end of the list, I'm like, all these books are from North Africa. Right. Which happened this year. And then I kind of feel like I need to, there must be a book worth mentioning from the Levant or, you know, like. Right. And also we, um, they're not in Arabic. The majority are actually translations from Arabic because it's things that I've read. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we try to have a little bit of both. I mean, it's completely idiosyncratic. It's my list. Right, right. Whereas this is not my list. This is, The my part of it is there are some authors who I go back year to, to year after year. Mansoura Azadine always participates in a fantastic way with, you know, she just reads extremely widely and knows what I mean when I say pick your five, you know pick your three to five favorite books and then write what you loved about she's a book mm. critic as well as a novelist so she just she's on board with that so she's like your friend that you would ask for book recommendations and like always follow up on what they say absolutely basically. yeah absolutely Mohammed Abdel Nebi well my problem is is that I do tend to ask way too many Egyptians um versus uh so this year um uh, i partnered with uh hind Said. so hind um also put together a list and asked some authors who she knows she's iraqi and she used to be the arabic coordinator at the emirates lit fest in dubai and so she brought in some authors who she's in contact with so it it, it stretched it more versus the you know the heavily Egyptian list that I often ask. Yeah, well, my list was very heavily very heavily Morocco and Egypt, of course, unsurprisingly. I think it's kind of normal that that you read in a sort of expanding geographic circle out from the location in which you live. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, you live somewhere, you end up reading more and more books about that place or from that place or because you hear you're hearing about books from pe from people that are you're you're actually meeting and stuff and you start to have publisher friends or writer friends so like the, I don't think there used to be any Moroccan or very few Moroccan books on my radar and since I've lived here for five years now there's like way more right. I actually this year uh, I mean, so apart from Ahmed Bouanani, who we dedicated the whole last episode to, only included um, one other one, which is this book that I'm looking forward to and I haven't read yet. Because my list is a little bit also things that I just am excited to read but mm -hmm. haven't had a chance to, which is this uh, photography and essay book about Casablanca with interviews with writers and artists about the city, how it features in their work. I think that's and the publisher, uh, the editor is uh, is Kenza Sifrewi and Leila Slimani, so a novelist and a publisher from here that I, I, certainly Kenza, all of her work I admire a lot. Right. And I like books about cities. I just always like a good, 
book. But again, if I hadn't, if I didn't live here and know Casablanca and go there on a regular basis, I'd be significantly less interested in that book, probably. Right. Well, I, I just feel Egyptians are so easy to ask, hey, do this thing for me. Oh, and they do? Yeah. Or maybe I just know them. Maybe you're just trafficking in gross national stereotypes now. <laughs> Egyptians are so much more obliging than everybody else. <laughs> no, it's your, it's your, I think it is because you know, just, yeah, you know, okay. so many people. Fine. And Egypt is full of lovely people, of course. I mean, we, we sort of agree on that. There are just also, it's a bigger country than any. Right. And so, and there are more writers. Any literary prize that tracks submissions will tell you that 30% of their submissions come from Egypt. Right. Um, and Egypt's, Egyptians are just prolific because it's a bigger country. It has a very strong tradition of writing. So, so I'm excusing myself for having a lot of it. No, I think it makes sense for them always to be represented. I mean, um, so... So again, we talked about this a little bit already. Also, for me, the book list is kind of an opportunity to basically remind myself what I've read that year. Mm. And yes, a that's little... always hard for me. I remember, what are my favorite books? The books I've read in the last two months. Right, right. And it's nice. It's sort of like you go back, you sort of realize what you've read and what has stuck with you. Mm. Um, uh, so, uh, again, Ottawa Sale's uh, book, yes, this the no- Notebooks, um, uh, Memoirs of this Leader of the Student Movement in the 1970s was like a book that I adored and we've talked about it. Yes. It, that's Egyptian. Um, and uh, and then, uh, again, I, I, you made me aware of this, although it's big news. Hopefully it would have slowly dawned on me this whole story of how Nagib Mahfouz has new texts yes, out. right. And also... That have, came out on his birthday. That, well, yeah. It came out in Arabic on his birthday. And uh, and then this book that, that sounds really interesting of uh, sort of literary journalism about Mahfouz and his work and his times and the and Children of the Alley. Yes, Mohammed Shire's book, uh, Biography of a Forbidden Novel about Awled Haretna, which is sometimes translated as Children of the Alley and sometimes as Children of Gebelawi. Why um, is it translated as Children of Gebelawi? It's so that, clearly Children of the Alley. Um, of our alley, actually. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> I have feelings about this. <laughs> why? I don't know why it was, but I know... Um, I mean, Ibrahim Fargheli wrote a novel called Children of Gebelawi to reference the English translation. So it had some... this. It's not even. It's, it's a mistranslation. It, you know, people do decide to change the title in in translation on a regular basis. I just don't quite understand why someone at some point was inspired to like insert the name Gabalawi. I don't think it's as pretty and as straightforward as Children of, of Our Alley. I even think it's Our Alley. Why did they change it even to the Alley? But I, you know, that I can live with. Uh, you know, I wasn't privy to... I haven't seen any commentary. I'm not holding why. you personally <laughs> responsible. I'm no. just... Uh, it's before my time. I don't know. So, uh, so any, but so his book is, is, is it quite specifically just around the writing and publication of that novel? It's, it, it's not. It, it definitely takes that as its centerpiece. So how did Mahfouz become the kind of writer who wrote this book. You know, what was his trajectory 
before that, how, how did he come to be right? So I'm only about two thirds of the way through at this point, but I'm really enjoying the book, uh, which is written in this, um, I guess, you know, thriller is the wrong, but you know, the, the, the way exciting nonfiction can be written. Mm. And also, I think if you're, uh, if you're me, there's a lot of sort of gossipy backbiting parts in it that are really very... I mean, right. I always I saw, knew that I... Yusuf Idris was super jealous about Nagim Mahfouz's Nobel, but, you know, all the way, all the mortifying things that he said at that time are... So he quotes when he said, entertaining. I heard that he like took to his bed. He was like, he was ill over it. Yeah, I think. Um, and then there are all kinds of like, supposedly there was a guy who arrived with a bag of money to try and convince Mafuz not to accept the Nobel. You, Why? you know, there were, there was a sort of a, a on stream of, of thought. Uh, well, supposedly on behalf of the Palestinian Authority, uh, Supposedly, there was a stream of thought that accepting the Nobel was Zionist and that, that Mahfouz got the Nobel, that he was lobbying for the Nobel. You know, he has this somewhat unpopular opinion that um, a negotiated peace with Israel was, was, necessary. was necessary. I think um, Shire makes the case that he was not sort of pro-Israel. He simply was a very practical person in addition to many other things. Um, as we said before, he has these ironclad habits. He's, And I think politically, he was sort of an exceptionally practical person. Um, That's my impression, too, because I looked into this a bit. I mean... Um, I, and later, it's, you know, suggested that the Israeli ambassador you know, asked him to put forward Israeli authors for future Nobels, because once you're a Nobel winner, you have some sort of special nomination ability. Mm. Um, and th that he had said, N no, thank you. Um, if I'm going to put forward an author, it's going to be an Arab author writing in Arabic. Um, I don't think that he was particularly pro-Israel. I just think that he was a exceptionally straightforwardly pragmatic person and when people are super disappointed that he worked for the censorship authority as well I think he was just trying to do the best he could with the situation he had democracy was you know in this very um centrist way democracy was very important to him yeah I mean I think uh I I agree with you like his stance which was very early on like he he adopted it perhaps not publicly but he spoke about it with, with friends uh pretty much immediately after 67, mm -hmm. that um, if we can't beat Israel militarily, then we need to think about having a political, a negotiated political solution between Egypt and Israel. I think everything about him is explained by his nationalism. Right. That was the fan, that's sort of his guiding star. And, yet, and yes, he's also kind of centrist and moderate and pro-democracy, pro but not in a... Uh, um, never radical, never radical no, about anything. No, absolutely not, yeah. Um, and, and always sort Except of Egypt's imagination. Right. No, that's the contradiction is that, it, or the mystery of him is, is, is how, is, is this great creative force underneath this very, um, you know, moderate, uh, shell. And, um, 
I think he thought it was not in Egypt's interest to be endlessly, this this no war, no peace thing right. with Israel right. was not in the country's interest. I think also he never liked the Nasser regime. Right. And he, and he thought they were full of it, which they turned out partly to be in 67. And so it was also a, like impatience with their propaganda and, the, and their regime. And, and you know, this. so if we can't beat them, let's admit it. Right, exactly. Uh, right. Which was hugely, I think, unpopular and... And led to bans on his books and so on. Yes. Which it seems to kind of weathered, though. Yeah, he, in addition to this sort of stoic pragmatism, he he was very committed to his work. So if um, Aulet Haretna went through two different bans in Shar's sort of storyline uh, the the initial ban and then under so, sorry and the initial ban is after it's been published in the newspaper? newspaper after it's been published in the newspaper there are is a growing hue and cry to Nasser by the religious authorities and political political for political reasons and religious the religious reasons are the ones that got sort of the most public weight uh-huh but also this was considered sort of a a critique of Autocracy as well, which I've always and a I, critique I'm of power. Totally agree with. Yes. Right. Okay. So, so people but go the, complain. The, but we are putting this, hanging this hat on the religious authorities. There, we're, we're censoring it because of. That. Okay. Um, and then there was uh, when he won the Nobel, there was a initial movement to, well, shouldn't we bring this book out? This book that's been censored. Right. And then there was a scuttling of that, so that there was a sort of second censorship of it um and of course then they because his profile rose after the nobel that's why they started talking about him and his work right. partly and, and he just stuck to it i mean all the quotes he's like i still believe in this novel um you know here it is in a non-flowery non just a kind of a you know absolutely sure of this is my vision i wrote this book I still believe in it. I'm not changing my mind. Oh, I think if anything is going to give a writer doubts about the literary merit of their work, it's not going to be a bunch of, like, religious and politically motivated boycotts. Like, it'd be one thing if you got terrible reviews or, like, all your fellow writers sort of, like, didn't want to talk about it or something. But I I don't think, you know, who cares? Those people, those aren't literary opinions. Those have nothing to do with the value. I'm not surprised that his sense of the value of the work on a literary level was left unshaken. Uh, And and that it, you know, whatever, it belonged where it was in the literary canon in his work. And then, of course, um, when Salman Rushdie's uh, book came out, which somehow I'm blanking on the name of it. Satanic Satanic Verses. verses, Right. Um, There were some... uh, Egyptian Verses from the Devil, something like that. (laughs) Devilish poems. There were some Egyptians who sort of laid that at Mahfouz's feet. If we had taken care of this at the time... Salman Rushdie would never have had the guts to write his book. I think, yeah, I think that's literally that's the quote by the sheikh in who was in prison in the states at the time. The one who had uh, who was already in prison for the bombing of I can't remember now. I'm going to probably get this wrong, but that's okay. But the one who sort of inspired the young man to attack Mahfouz, right? 
And I want to say he was like the blind sheikh who was in prison in the United States for a pre-9-11 attack. Uh, are you, don't, you know, don't quote me, but I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure about the outlines of this. He said something to the effect, yes, that we wouldn't be facing this problem with Rushdie if we had taken care of Mahfouz. Right. And that's almost one of the only things on the record even pointing to why he was targeted. Because, I mean, that survived. Maybe there was a lot of chatter at the time about him, but that's the quote I keep seeing, actually, when, when you look for where did this come from. Right. I, I think... That's, I mean, that was in the book as well, in yeah. terms of um, this then inspired this uh, attack, which had strong reverberations, naturally. I, I mean, the, to me, this has been a great history lesson. This book is a great, it, you know, it's because it's not really just about this book. It's about the climate uh, in Egypt and in the in region, in some cases in, in world politics, at these different mo important moments in the history, in the biography of this book. And so um, I some, you know, I think of, well, yes, he was stabbed, um, you know, these sort of as settled moments, but to be transported back into this moment of terror uh, um, and how it reverberated, you know, how Mafu said, this is meant, this is meant to silence us. This is meant to scare us all that I, you know, I, I felt scared again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the attack was in 94? Yeah. And that's, I, I mean, it wasn't the only, there were several attacks on prominent right. secular right. scholars. Right. Uh, which I think either pushing them into exile or there was an assass another assassination um, there was supposed to be an assassination attempt on Nasr Abu Zaid, I think. Right. Instead, he was basically driven into 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 exile. Right. Uh, and yeah, I think it absolutely uh, it, it 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 terrified the intellectual and creative elite of the country. To this day, perhaps it changed the parameters right. of what could be said. Or I mean, people talk about the conservatism in Egyptian public discourse, which we've witnessed recently with these, you know, ridiculous controversies over what some lady wears on the red carpet right. to, to some events. But that, I think it dates to that period, perhaps, that, that that's when you saw there was like a shift in sort of what could and couldn't the terms of public morality and public discussion, and right. it's they've never been able to claw back the space for secular or critical or just you know discussions uh, discussions of morality, discussions of religion that that were sort of um, open, right? right? Right, and I think yeah, Mafuz's novel in terms of a critique of the way religion has operated in the world and power has operated in the world and the relationship between power and religion was a very bold book, a very straightforwardly bold book that it would be difficult to, to, to I mean, in a way, you know, Egypt retains its, its space for, for publishing freedom with these tiny runs and because publishing has become a sort of a marginalized mm. operation. Um, 
but also the fear goes on because of its absolute mercurialness. Um, you know, Yusuf Racha can write an extremely bold book that is much more, um, you know, would give you much more of a heart attack than Ahmed Neji's, for instance, but Ahmed's was the one that was, you know, got him a jail sentence. Or, I mean, speaking of, you have... Not a, that I'm suggesting we should put Yusuf in prison. No, nobody should. <laughs> no, of course, no. No, but and there's, I think, I think writers are, of course, people are still writing things as bold as Children of the Alley, I right. think. Yes. I think people are. But they are, but they are doing so um, in an environment where they are completely exposed. And then I think a lot of other writers are, the majority probably, are self-censoring significantly. I also think it's not appearing. This Children of the Alley appeared in the newspaper. Right, in Serialized. No, it would never... Uh, To a huge readership. Right, right. No, of course. I mean, you had a column in the New York Times recently by the Egyptian writer Yasmin al-Rashidi, where she basically talked about not this the ambient censorship that's taking place in Egypt now, mm. like the way that like you're being censored not even before the authorities by you know some like jerk off lawyer who wants hit, uh, a, a little bit of you know attention, or your neighbor who has a problem with you, or your professor or your boss or whatever, your people on social media, like people are reporting each other, like it's this terrible... Right. Well, Khaled Elberi talked about, um, if you remember his book, Life is More Beautiful Than Paradise, mm-hmm. about the printer, uh, like the physical, the dude who was yeah. printing the book, looked at it and he objected, he didn't want it, well, I think there was a bribe involved and then it it rolled onward, but right. he was saying, my sister, you know... Something to the effect of right. I mean, so that's always been there, but I think it's gotten worse. Mm. And then, and then, Yasmin's column talks about sort of like self censoring and how she's bringing out an edition of her novel, of her um, her novella, uh, Chronicle uh, of a Lost Summer. Mm. Thank you. As a group effort, we can <laughs> we can manage to remember book titles if we just work on it together. And uh, which which came out a few years ago, and which is in my I don't remember there being anything particularly controversial at all in it. Like it doesn't even it barely addresses the revolution. It kind of writes around the revolution. It has a very muted tone. Uh, it, it, I I can't think of what red line. And she but she says that out of this fear that she also feels uh, she uh, like uh, apparently you know made changes to the Arabic edition before bringing it out uh, so and, and I mean of course there are people who are, aren't making any changes and are taking very big risks uh, in in the country but it, it's uh, I think there there's there's a once this phenomenon starts, it's like the space st- starts shrinking itself. Yeah. It starts like cringing inwards. Like, And I think in Mafuz's time, you also saw writers who instantly sided with the government in censoring um, Aulad Haratna, uh, in, in just being censorious, you know, just to be out of an excess of caution or just to be joiners or I, I, I don't know. I hate joiners. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so this book, I'm really... So they, don't, they don't come out well. Yeah. Well, I would say about 90% of all Musa Kafin, if you're going to do a, 
certainly in recent decades, cultural, intellectual history of Egypt don't come out that well. And, you know, partly, okay, so in in public life, people make compromises and mistakes, but, but one of the many uh, failings uh, has been a failing of leadership exactly from what should have been a cultural elite, I think, mm. of, of this country. And and partly maybe, again, because some of the key figures in it were uh, were targeted, you know, 25 years ago. But this book sounds really interesting. I'm, I, it's, it's fantastic. I'm, I hope I'm it gets really translated into it. English because I'm lazy. Well, okay, Sama <laughs> Salim, who is the translator of... Arwastala is stillborn. <gasps> Get out. She's, well, she's doing, she's committed, she's got an NEA grant to translate a different book, but she's doing a chapter that we're going to, inshallah, publish on Arab Lit, and then we'll take that chapter in a pitch and start hurling it at English language publishers, because not only is this ex- an exciting book to read, there's, there's so little nonfiction that gets translated, and... I looked. I could not find a pop uh, a book about Mafuz for a popular audience, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's all sorts of reasons why this book should be translated. Um, it, it, you know, of course, the world would be very lucky if Sama did it, but she has many responsibilities. I'm a big fan of hers. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, so yeah, if she did, that'd be fantastic. But so I look forward. I look forward to that. That's crazy that there aren't. I mean, so I know, and everyone knows in Cairo that there was a biography of Mahfouz commissioned. You talking about the Raymond Stock to someone to Raymond Stock, like what thirty decades, three decades ago. Yeah, and uh, and by Doubleday, I can't remember. And so and and I I always wondered if that meant that like it got. But that, w- that wouldn't have locked up other publishers from commissioning works. It's just that publisher couldn't go to anyone else because they had sort of already commissioned him. And I think it's supposedly still in process. I think, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but perhaps I should explain for our listeners that, I mean, so Raymond Stock was one of the many uh, colorful characters that one met in Cairo and including, I actually, without naming him, mentioned him in my article, who he was, you know, almost always dressed in white or linens, I think, often, um, and and yes, and he introduced himself as a, as a biographer of Nagib Mahfouz, although the biography he did translate one of Mahfouz's novels, right? I can't remember which one, but the but the biography has never come out, and uh, no, he was also involved in this infamous archives, um, Sotheby's. I'm sorry, I don't know what that is. Oh, well, there was a a moment, this was in 2010, when um, I think it was the nephew decided to sell some manuscripts of Nagim Mahfouz's novels to Sotheby's. And suddenly the news came out that Sotheby's was going to auction off some manuscripts of Mahfouz's. The family, his his daughters, didn't know um, what... Where did this come from? Who, as it turns out, it was a nephew who had who had some of of the manuscripts, and it, it was sort of a and through and Raymond Stock was involved in this sort of um, mm. semi up, up you know, there was a semi uproar about you know taking it, it's a difficult thing right taking Mafuz's archives out of the country auctioning them off versus you know there is no 
museum or, or library, there's no national trust of Mahfouz's works, nor... You know, nor it's it, such a pity. There it, should it be like the equivalent of the Um Kulsum Museum. You know, like a small the Um Kulsum Museum is lovely. I yeah. don't know how did that manage to happen. It was a. Uh, I think. I think maybe there was some uh, Italian involvement. I I vaguely remember Every that. Every year that they I funded... hear that they're going to open a Nagib Mahfouz Museum on December 11th. Um, this year I didn't even hear. Okay, that except for this year. But f- frequently I've heard. Okay, this year. The Mafuz Museum on, is going to open on his birthday, December 11th. But so, um, and then speaking of sort of documents and so on, so the the author of this book did get access to manuscripts from the family. Like, he has good right. relations with the family. Yes. But then what's come out recently, on a, separately, is when they sold their rights to these newly rediscovered stories... It, this has raised the question of the rights that the American University in Cairo Press has to all of Mahfouz's translated works. Yeah, and I think particularly around the time of the Nagib Mahfouz Prize, I think that's when um, his daughter Um Kulsum had issued a statement to uh, Al-Ahram saying that she wasn't going to attend the ceremony and that she was annoyed at not being able to see the... She'd asked to see the um, the... Uh, the contracts, uh, uh, and she hadn't even known that this new film was coming out. Um, so we she, should explain that, so that supposedly AUC has sold the rights. They have, I believe, all world non-Arabic rights to, I think they've got film, theater, I think they give rights to everything. Although since no one seems the con- has seen the contract, one doesn't actually know what they I, have yeah, rights to. I really don't know, but this is my understanding, is that they've got rights to everything. And and what I've always heard is that they got him for a pittance. Yes, because they got them long before he'd gotten the Nobel, and he sort of, as the story says, sold away everything for a song. Yeah, I mean, I the 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 story, but I don't, I I, I haven't verified it, so I don't know. the The version that I've heard is always that even at the time they knew it was the steal what they got, right. what they got it all for, right, and. I mean, I have to say, it seems less than elegant for the press to not have, at some point after he won the Nobel and when they reprinted so many of his works, um, maybe renegotiated with the family somehow, and done things like commissioned biographies of him by good writers. Like, if you do have the rights to all of his work worldwide, then you also have a kind of guardianship right. to, 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 to promote his work and to maybe to promote scholarship on him. Or I think there's more they could have done. Sure. I mean, yeah, I guess now that you mention it, it is surprising that there's not a annual conference about discussing his work or that there aren't, yeah, uh, Nagib Mahfouz scholarships or... They have the literary prize. That's they do what have they the literary do. prize Just... in his name, and he was part of determining that, I believe. I, there's a short film that the AUC made about it. I think he was... Um, I think he was excited about this literary prize in his name. Yeah, but, I mean, I would not, if I was the press go to war with his daughters over them printing some of his discovered stories It's elsewhere. just one daughter, living daughter. Oh, sorry. Yeah, because it's not... If it if the figure for, comes out or the details come out, the press is not... It's not going to look good. It's not going to be a good look. Right, right. No matter what. Uh, and... 
they frankly haven't even utilized all the things that they do have rights to particularly, right? Like they could focus more on that than right. If this yeah. is true, then sort of being upset that 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 they're publishing 18 stories and with with a Beirut publishing house. Yeah, so I think it was initially surprising to think of her going with Darasaki and and Saki Books. Um, Beirut and, and London rather than publishing houses that are based in Egypt, but now seeing that she's sort of generally annoyed, um, it, it seems more understandable. They probably pay better than publishing houses in Egypt. It, it could be. I mean, yes. I mean, all she would say about it was that it was a more suitable deal, I think. I, I, I suspect it's probably just a financial decision. Which is... Or and, per, and also maybe then you don't have to worry about censorship either. If there was any issue with that, right? right. Published in Beirut, that's that's, that's then so you're you're killing two, two birds with one stone, and um, so we both put that on our lists. This upcoming eighteen right, right. mystery stories. Well, it's, so it's funny because a number of people mentioned Shaw's book, so I felt obligated to ask him. Well, what was your favorite read of the year? Uh-huh. And of course he. He said his favorite read of the year was these discovered Mafuz stories. Which is called uh, uh, Whisper of Stars in the Arabic. Whisper of Stars. Safi Books in London has indicated that they're not married to this title and that they may call it something else. Mm-hmm. Because it is, it, it is a col- collection, whether you're going to call it a short story collection or whether it's um, a novel or a novel he was planning to write, or a novel in stories. They're certainly interlinked short texts. Um, and Whisper of Stars is the name of one of them. So mm-hmm. I think they're they're planning to go with a different title for it in the English. Not Gabalawi, though. All right. That's <laughs> term. And, and wait, and then speaking of Mahfouz, one last item on the Mahfouz agenda is they did actually then just announce the Mahfouz Literary Award. They did. They did. I'll ask to... you, because I don't know anything about this things if you, so who who won and it's um it, it is a prize that comes without a short list or a long list it's usually it's the same ish judges every year it's always Humphrey and Tahya Abdel Nasser and Rashid and Nani and Munatoba and uh, I'm gonna embarrass myself by not remembering the fifth judge uh, and uh, so it, it it comes from the the submissions to the prize, which I don't know what those submissions were, nor how many they got. They just sort of announce the winner every year on December 11th. In that sense, it's always a surprise. Um, uh, this year it was Umama Al-Khamis, who's a Saudi novelist. And, um, her her sort, of, sort of regionally best-known book was The Leafy Trees, which... Uh, was long listed for the International Prize for Arabic Fiction in maybe 2010-ish. Uh, and this was The Voyage of the Cranes. It is a historical novel uh, set around... Now, I haven't read it, but this is the this is what all the press release material said. Um, set in the 11th century, uh, a bookseller hires a dude to go around the region selling books, and it's sort of what happens to him. Um which it seems a bit reminiscent of A Small Death, which was a novel, the International Prize for Arabic Fiction, winning novel by Mohammed Hassan al in 2017, which followed Ibn Arabi as he traveled around. Um, so 
It's certainly going to be interesting to see. The tro- I mean, the traveling scholar is a... Yeah, is no, it's, a, such a, a fa- it's meant to be like Rihla literature. Yeah. Um, like Ibn Battuta and Ibn Fanlan, these greats of travel literature. I, I think what interests me m- most about just the press release material that I saw and the judges' comments was that she's particularly interested in the lives of women in the 11th century. So you hear about... Um, And, you know, people say it was, I mean, the judges say it was well-researched. And people, you know, I read some Goodreads reviews as well. Um, uh, So that it it is interested in the lives of ordinary women in that era as well, which I think, you know, typically, uh, Finland was not necessarily interested in women's lives. And... Um, you know, many historical novels are are not so. So I'm interested to to see that aspect of it. So it will. Um, the book that won last year, last December, is coming out in 2019. Uh, and so I I'm just assuming that this book will come out from AUC Press in 2020. It does part of winning the prize. I'm not sure if you commit to being translated. Uh, if you submit that you commit to taking the thousand dollars and being translated by AUC Press, or if you can win the prize and then sell your rights elsewhere, I suspect that if you submit for the prize, you must agree to that they publish your book. Mm. But I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, it seems to always be sort of. It always seems to happen that you that you do get. To... Yeah, I, it's part of the prize. Whether you can opt out of it, I'm not sure. Mm. Yeah, you know, speaking of women being represented, I was pleased that completely, without me making any effort, there were multiple books by women on my list this year. Like, it just happened. Right. That's like my ideal scenario. <laughs> you know, because I have a, a little... I mean, I believe in sort of trying to looking, but I'm I'm... I have mixed feelings about sort of the 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 value of sort of shoving sol- a woman on your list just to have one or yeah I would say solving problems of inequality or power imbalances through representational mm. strategies uh, yes I understand. I mean I think um, with translation you sometimes see. Um, Un, you know, you, you generally see an, an underrepresentation of women writers across the board. This is, you know, generally it's about 30% women and 70% men who are translated from all languages into English. And this includes Arabic. And then there are some areas that really women are very underrepresented for reasons that I'm not quite clear on, like poetry, even though there's so much contemp- interesting contemporary poetry. Um, being written by women is the are are women writing? I mean, is the percentage of writers fifty fifty, or is the percentage of writers already seventy percent male and thirty percent female? In I the, mean, this is across all languages. I haven't the slightest idea. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, does the yeah, rate of translation I, I represent? I can say for sure that some some aspects that I look at, like for instance, poetry. There's almost no women's poetry translated from Arabic to English. Whereas this list of Arab authors' favorites of the year often talks about what great poetry is being written by women. And male poets also equally talk about 
these women poets writing the most interesting work. So why is their work not being translated? I don't know. Is that just be, so that who who's I mean because obviously someone like Darwish is translated. Right, Adonis is translated. Adonis, who's Gulen the other one? Haji is translate it well was one has one book translated. It's a very prolific one that writes a lot about it's not my favorite. Super prolific of that generation. Ugh. Since since you said not your favorite, I'm now terrified to name anybody's name. Writes <laughs> <laughs> a lot about, I feel like, basically, you know, romance, sex, women. I mean, there's a lot of that in the poetry. Oh, God. I'm definitely not going um, to risk Google saying this. any names. But there are, you know, uh, poets who are uh, translated... Um, are almost in, you know, you would say, let's say that there are 10 collections that appear in a year, nine or 10 of them will be by male poets. Even contemporary. Yes, including contemporary people working now. Uh, I don't have any suggestion about why that is, um, why publishers just have a notion that they, when they want women's work, they want it to be a novel. <laughs> they want it to be a young emerging woman writer who's writing a novel. Huh. I was completely unaware of this particular imbalance. It's just something that really smacked me in the face a couple years ago and then I just really couldn't not see it. Mm. I mean in terms of novels maybe uh, a 70-30 representation is, is representative of what's being written for all sorts of reasons. I don't know. In terms of poetry, I feel fairly certain that men are overrepresented in translation. Hmm. So one of the one of the people on my list that's some, that's a book that I put on before I even received it, but that I'm looking forward to is it's Amen Marcel's right. Um, How, How to, to Mend he, yes. Motherhood and Its Ghosts, but mm -hmm. uh, out by. Um, Kaifata, the Kaifata series, um, and uh, she's a poet. I ha actually, I've ordered her. I've heard so much about her poetry that I finally ordered some of her books to read alongside this, which is more of a sort of long, um, kind of like a it's, a. it's an essay mixed with a journal. It's a. It's like the Sally book in the sense that it's melds forms. Right. 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 I think it's a lot. It's a lot based on her journals, and then it's there's also sort of um, research. Um, anyway, we'll talk about it in mm -hmm. a future episode once we've both read it. Um, but so until I give up the idea of houses, her 2013 collection, I think Robin Creswell is going to translate that. So when that she. She will be one of those rare women poets who will be translated into English. Well, hopefully, hopefully less rare. I mean, yes. yeah, yeah. Hopefully, sure. at some point. And then um, I just to just to finish off on the whole topic of the of the list, like uh, the other book that I put on that I haven't read uh, is a collection of short stories by Ahmed Sadawi, who wrote mm. the Frankenstein in Baghdad novel, which I actually was not an, a huge... I mean, I was sort of... I I enjoyed the concept more than the execution, yeah. and uh, I was slightly surprised by the 
really positive reaction it got in terms of being put on all these prize lists and stuff but i heard good things um uh, about about this this collection and i'd like to see what he does in a short story format because one of the things for the not with the novel for me is i felt like it, it it dragged a bit in terms of like it was just event after event, but maybe in a more concentrated form where each story could he could sort of like focus on because the ideas were original. I thought right the conceit in the novel. So I'm okay, curious I'm not going to be disappointing, but the short stories that I've read of his have been have felt very much like Frankenstein and Baghdad. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, but I don't know. So I I are they? Do you know if they're ones from this collection? I don't. I don't know that. But sometimes so I just felt... read on the internet and I can't yeah. even tell. Like I read something of Shar's on the internet and then I read it again and then I'm like, oh, that was a chapter from his book. <laughs> yeah. No, it may be. I mean, and again, sometimes I put I put a few things on there because they have been recommended or because, again, the author has a certain profile. And so since so many people seem to have been interested in his first work, it seemed worth mentioning that he has something new out. Um, but it may it may never be for me. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's, it's right. a mix of things that I really liked and things that I think other people may like. One uh, book that, uh, that I... Th- I'm looking forward to that I haven't seen yet is uh, that did show up on these um, authors' favorites of the year is Hassan Blazim's uh, God 99 that I think Jonathan has Jonathan Wright has already translated but they haven't found a, a publisher for it yet and it is kind of a novelly you know his previous work is short stories I think this is sort of interwoven texts that become a novelish thing. Yeah, I have to say, I think I probably find Hassan Bassam more a more interesting writer than Ahmed Saadawi. He's definitely, I mean, they're both Iraqi writers, right, and right. they both deal a bit. I mean, there there are there are surreal elements right. to often kind of dark stories. There's there's sort of something comparable, I right. think, perhaps. And here's there's them. something rough about Hassan's style, something very unfinished. Some sometimes you are reading one of his stories. You're like, "What? That's it? It's over." <laughs> but um, it seems more stylistically daring. It yeah, feels yeah, more imaginative he's... and more daring. I think. Yeah, you definitely. I feel at the edge of my seat while I'm reading him. Um, so I'm interested to see this. Um, you know, he's also you know he's so controversial. He's a love him or hate him kind of a figure as well, which is always. Why is that? Um, you know, he says some. Uh, Un, there, you know, some people are offended by his um, anti anti European. Uh, they uh, critique of the reception of Iraqi and Syrian migrants in in Europe. Uh, some Iraqis have been think that he should be more grateful because he himself emigrated to Europe he is he is in Finland Uh and he has been critical of how he's he and other migrants have been treated in ways that to me as an American not not really knowing the European landscape that intimately feel totally fair to me I mean I don't think that he needs to be grateful yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think. I mean, of course, of, of course, there are, 
there are considerations and sort of what the goal of 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 speaking in all, all sorts of situations like these are, but I don't think that uh, that uh, you need to censor yourself or be any more appreciative of a country because you arrived there recently than anyone else. Like, uh, I mean, you right? Know, no, that's not a sort of freely. censorship. Yeah. <laughs> censorship that I'd want from yeah. an artist. Yeah, he's also you know uh, quite out there in terms of saying whatever he wants in terms of religion and politics and tearing at the, you know, the sort of seams of the language uh, rather than trying to craft it in beautiful ways, uh, which is all interesting to me. So Mm. I I think his initial reception in Arabic was quite difficult um, and that there were fewer writers. As I remember, Mazin Maruf was an initial supporter of of his and, and his writing and that there were more people who said this writing is ugly and it's um it just doesn't work um is there anything else i'm not going to mention anything else from my list because they're all books that we have talked about right um and like i said i talked about with you because you gave me the idea for several of them or that we have had episodes about so basically if you we'll we'll link to these you know if you want to be reminded right <laughs> of of books that that we've liked and, I, and that have sort of it's i think also sort of stood the test of time as you look back or that you know we're quite intrigued with looking forward then we'll, we'll link to the lists right i think one book that i had forgotten how much i enjoyed until this the sheikh Hamad um translation prize just came out, which is this $2 million Qatari translation prize. Wait, but it's not $2 million to one person. It's not $2 million person. to one person. Okay. Which is, which is fortunate because that, be, that would be extremely exciting. But, I think that person would we, stop translating. I think it'd be one, two. I mean, for work. Like, they would just make it for yeah. fun. Yeah. Go to the beach. $2 million. But it's, uh, is it eight different? So it's in, between English and Arabic every year. Um, so it's, Arabic to English and English to Arabic. And then it's one other language, and this year it was German, Arabic to German and German to Arabic. Um, and uh, there is, a, like the Sheikh Zayed Prize, there's a little bit of apple and orangeness that is difficult. And this was even an apple, orange, banana situation. So there was Noel Nasrallah's 14th century cookbook, which I was very excited about. She's an independent scholar and a translator. This book was lovely. And if she gets a lot of money, I'm, I'm super well, they Oh, they her. haven't announced it yet? Yeah, no, she, I'm sorry, yes. Uh, if they pay out the money. I, I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure how, what the division is, how much exactly she, did she get 200,000 or 100,000? I don't know. Okay, but she gets some big amount of money. I think maybe a hundred for a translation of a mid- medieval Arabic cookbook. Yes, does she write? And some, uh, is there writing he, around the recipes? She writes this lovely introduction, and yes, the, you know the recipes from that era are quite narrative, um, and, and there's all you know all sorts of additional things about how to gain weight as a young lady, as you want to do to be properly pretty and plump. Um, so it's I, I really enjoy this. I would recommend it for a holiday gift if it weren't you know an academic publication that was scandalously expensive. Um, 
I can't remember. I I begged. Yeah, I'm trying obviously. to think if that would go over. If, we're, if I gave, I'm trying to think who I could give a medieval <laughs> Arabic cookbook with a lot of tips on how to gain weight too. I can say I'm a hundred percent persuaded that this is like an easy a gift, an item. easy choice. All right, maybe maybe not as much as for instance I, I, Carl's um, Carl Sharo's um, yeah stocking stuffer um, uh, book of. Twitter quips and jokes. Maybe that's a better gift. But if you were going to give me a gift and I didn't already have a copy. I see. Uh, <laughs> I see. But yeah, it's not very useful since you already have a copy. Mm, yeah, I suppose. So, um, but it was a cookbook, a contemporary novel by um, Ibrahim Nasrallah and then Tafsir translation. How are these so books is- nominated? Oh, it's a little bit mysterious. It's one of the mysterious prizes. This did it get it got it said it got two hundred and some submissions. Dude, um, for two million dollars, you for, think they'd get like thousands of submissions? Yeah, yeah, and and also it's these categories: Arabic to English, English to Arabic, Arabic to German, and German to Arabic. And I wasn't sure, you know, what were what were most of the submissions. Uh, which ones went to which category? Yeah, you would think there would be more submissions. I don't know also uh, how the judging works. I didn't see any announcement of who the judges were, which doesn't mean that there there wasn't an announcement. There was a lot of coverage of Sheikh so and so was in the audience at the event, and you know, kind how of fascinating. Other information that's not very useful to me. Um. So to me, this prize is not entirely clear, but I'm still excited for Noelle, and I hope she goes mad spending the money. <laughs> Builds herself a like perfect re- recreation of a medieval kitchen. No, is that, this isn't necessarily something that she's interested it in. Is, beyond it, is. it is. She also did this Baghdad cookbook. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, so then she should, a, she should go for it. Yeah. So I think, you know, she could just buy herself some wonderful medieval cooking tools or make them commission them Mm, give herself a really nice christmas present basically (laughs) yeah there you go (laughs) yeah i mean i i I question the value of these enormous uh, literary prizes and and literary translation prizes i don't think that this has any particular i I, i'm suspicious of it and it I'm suspicious of large amounts of money in general, but I don't think it has any kind of corrupting influence. I don't think Noel is going to go <laughs> do anything terrible now, nor is anyone else in order to get the prize, especially since it's so mysterious. Like, how do you get it? I don't know. I just, I don't even, I can't even muster, I don't care about prizes. Like, I can't care about it. It's like a sport that I don't, that one that doesn't don't follow. Yeah. No, no, it's not, I don't, the rules are pretty straightforward. I get the rules. I can understand. I don't get the rules. Well, I mean, who gets the prize? Is it going to go to a cookbook next year, a novel next year, or a translation of Tasfi? I suppose you're frustrated with the rules and some of them being unclear. Sure, I I just don't. I don't know. It's not. It's not a side of literature that that gets me interested somehow, or of the mm. literary game. Like there's other things, like you say, maybe even gossip or like store biographies right, or things right. outside of the literature itself. Um, these things of course matter enormously to the to the writers themselves and you know, I think the more the more money that gets thrown into this the better. I mean, frankly, why not? They Yeah, I mean I guess that 
the thing would be, well, what if you could put the same money into translation subventions or into... But I, I just, you know, don't... I don't, don't necessarily want decision-making oversight that, that the money might come with, so... Well... Yeah, no, I would be, I would be czar of the, of like, Gulf Literary Prize money. Okay, well, I'm gonna give we you. We could be co, we could be co czars of that, and and I think find some some smart smartish ways to spend it. Probably wouldn't be any worse, and it could be much better than how it's done. Okay, fine. Don't, don't you think? Yeah. Okay. I'm willing to manage this money. <laughs> <laughs> give me my bank account number if you ask. All right. Well. um... On that note, with Marcia's bank account number. Shall we uh, wrap this episode up and say goodbye until next year? Yes, I guess. Happy holidays, happy new year. We're going to be, um, we're going to take a slight hiatus, uh, so so we won't be back in exactly two weeks. Right, It'll be a, a little bit more. A little bit beyond I'm that. not actually going, well, I'm going on a very short trip to London, but... I'm not going anywhere particularly for the holidays. I am. I'm traveling a bit, and um, and I'm looking forward to reading a bit also. I mean, for pleasure. Over yes. The, when, when we're sort of not working and not hanging out with family. Um, so, uh, anyway, we'll be back in 2019. Yes. <laughs> okay. Our first podcast of the new year. All right, bye, Marcia, and bye, everybody. Goodbye, Ursula. Goodbye.